The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. They'll let you record your podcast from tax prison, right? (laughs) (laughs) That might be the opening. everybody and welcome to backstage gaming dramatic takes on your favorite games i'm chris and i'm dylan and i don't know why this... that was so theatrical i'm it was, sorry I, I like it it, was, it took hello took everyone welcome to backstage gaming we're here to talk to you about games um <laughs> but anyway <laughs> this week it's another morning record if you can't tell from our loopiness uh this week <laughs> we're gonna talk we need to take a hard look at the biggest plague facing the game-liking public. Movie tie-in games. In the dock, we have... Why do movie tie-in games always blow chunks? Because they do. All right, uh, anyway. All right, this has been our brief foray into clickbait. It felt real dirty. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're going to be talking about movie tie-in games. Uh, it's something that I I don't know if it's actually gone away, but I've been much less aware of it in recent years. But there was like a heyday in like the late 90s through the 2000s of like every time an action movie came out, usually THQ would get tapped to make a... Oh is god, that it mean? was THQ, Is that mean? It? I... <laughs> <laughs> it might be mean, but I'll leave it in. Uh, game studios would be tapped by movie companies to make games based on or aping blockbuster films and a lot of them were i will put it kindly and say mediocre yeah uh and we're going to talk a little bit about why that might be that section is going to be full of stuff like we're not really game designers we have not worked in this industry but i've read a lot also to be honest i don't think we've played a lot of movie tie-in games in like the last decade (laughs) yeah like i said i i'm not even like i'm sure that there are still some out there but i feel like that might have moved into like the app space more because i'd see a lot of things in like the app store for like get our companion app for whatever blockbuster and it's like you know like a tap along or like a gotcha pond type game mm-hmm. um but anyway we're gonna talk a little bit about like things about that whole era and that whole mindset of game making based on things that we've read and things that we've played that like maybe are why those games have a bad reputation but then we're also mm-hmm. going to talk about a bunch of games that fall into that category that we really like <laughs> yeah so, like as we were as we were preparing for this topic we were like oh wait shit there's a lot of movie tie-in games that even if they aren't good i have a lot of fun memories of yeah, there's. it's going to kind of be like, um, if you've ever watched the YouTube channel Extra Credits, they have a long-running series of games you might not have tried. Uh, typically, they're talking about games that are less mediocre, uh, but their general promise in that series is like, we're not saying these are good, just that they do something interesting. And that's kind of how I feel looking at the list of games from our memories that we really like. Mm-hmm. They're not all great, and most of them I have not touched or thought about in upwards of five to ten years so this is actually the least professional podcast we've ever done (laughs) but there are things about a lot of them that i remember and that i remember thinking are like oh 
that's actually a really cool thing or like that's a cool way of bringing this aspect of the movie into to the game so there's there's more to this title than meets the eye before we roll right into this um just because this is tangentially related and also kind of timely after seeing that dragon quest movie trailer i have to fight every urge not to just fire up a new file of that game that trailer looks so good okay um, like unexpectedly good yeah y'all there is a trailer that was dropped yesterday or the day before for a new cgi dragon quest tie-in movie it's based on one of the older it's a tie into Dragon Quest V, and I think the movie's called Dragon Quest Your Story. It looks really fucking good. Like, it's the same uh, studio behind the new live or uh, CGI Pokemon, the which, movie. Which, like, we redo. were knocking, like, however many episodes ago. Yeah. But that like, movie does not look very good. But I think that a lot of that comes down to, like, they're trying to ape in CGI the style of the Pokemon anime, which leads yeah. to a lot of, like, like, Ash's jaw is comically angular. <laughs> oh, God. It looks like I, I get what they're trying to do. It's just not working for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, but then you, this... can, you can get away with that in, like, Smash Bros. But, yeah. Yeah. Nah. But then this trailer, the aesthetic is, like, largely, like, DreamWorks' is how, tra- how to Tame Your Dragon with just, like, the lightest sprinkling of Akira Toriyama on top of it. Yeah. Which is like they're they're towing the line of paying homage to Dragon Quest's very very much works in two D kind of aesthetic or works in like yeah it works cell in three D like the, yeah it, like, it, it works when you're playing and it's cell shaded yeah uh, they're paying homage to that without like getting too bogged down in that and I think that they've landed on a really cool aesthetic it looks so good yeah I I think honestly like you know if you're making an animated movie you know you can try to ape a style that like works amazingly in 2d or you can kind of cheat it and be like what are some noteworthy animated movies that have come out in the past decade yeah not a bad way of going about it great artist steel i'm not even the biggest dragon quest fan i've been like enjoying the hell out of dragon quest 11 hell Uh, i would i would say i'm not even the biggest dragon quest fan i just really like a couple titles and thankfully they adapted one of my favorite ones so this this movie looks dope uh i'm very (laughs) excited for it but yeah yeah, i don't know anyway yeah, movie tie-in games. Let's dive I just, in. I just, I just wanted to like kind of give that a shout out. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel that. I am excited for this topic because it's. I am not a game designer. I have never worked in the industry. There was a long time when I was younger that I thought that was what I was gonna want to do. I took a programming class and instantly was like, "Oh, nope, this ain't for me, fam." <laughs> See, I, I've done a little bit of programming. I taught myself Pascal, which is a very old programming language that nobody uses anymore, but it's very good. It's like, but now you can play Zork, or you can yeah. make Zork. Uh, it's it's a good teaching language because it's it's old, so it's simple. Uh, so it teaches, but it's also old, so it doesn't do anything for you. So it yeah. does a lot of the, like, you have to learn how to actually think programming-wise. And then from that, I did some, like, I taught myself a little bit in some other languages. But I then I got bit by the theater bug and was like, aha, this is what it's like to be free and to never make a living. Um, <laughs> but this is my chance to I still have always... <laughs> Uh, I still have, like, a great deal of interest in the, like, how it gets made side of programming. I read a lot of, like, dev diaries, and I... All this is to say, I'm gonna be basing all of my assumptions about the development of these movie tie-in games on hearsay and 
they're going to be just that assumptions, which make an out ass out of you and umption. journalists. Yeah. Uh, shout outs to Polygon and Kotaku for writing things that make me think, even though it makes people hate you. Uh, <laughs> but movie tie-in games. Item one that's going to make this difficult for a game development studio. Making a game, particularly as technology has gotten more advanced and it has become more and more involved all of the things that need to come together, especially to make a AAA 3D major platform game, game development takes as long or longer as film development. <laughs> like, it depends on the film and it depends on the game, but, like, it's a pretty comparable window of time. Game development ain't short. Yeah, and so if you're a movie and you get to, like, odds are good you're not going to have enough info to give a game developer to let them start their pre-production until you're already in production or maybe even getting near post-production on that film. That's what I'm thinking. It's probably going to be closer to near post-production just to yeah. be like, here are some samples of what we have. Yeah, like that's... Uh, make a set piece on this. I know more about film production than I know about game production. You don't really have a... a you're not going to have enough to give, like... Here are some still frames for your artist to work off of. Here are some assets for you to use. Here's, like, some voiceover lines that we were able to record that you can start playing around with. You're not going to have any of that stuff that you can give a game studio to get them rolling and to let them have any idea of what kind of game they're going to be able to make until you're at least into the production cycle and you actually yeah. have things that you can give. And so already you're in this place where movie tie-in games for them to be movie tie-ins, have to come out roughly the same time that the film is hitting theaters, you're already putting your development studio in a position where they are having to crunch. And they know, like, a lot has been made recently. There have been a lot of articles. I just read a very cool piece this morning about just, like, everything that went wrong on Anthem. And a lot of that came down to, like, they spent, of the seven years the game was in development, like, five and a half of those were pre-production. And then the remaining one and a half was all crunch time. Like, crunch is a thing in the games industry that shouldn't be no. as much. At the very least as Not much. Not to this degree. <laughs> but so you're already starting at a position where it's like, all right, game studio, have this ready for us in 18 months. And if you look at some of these games, that's that makes a lot of the, like, especially in, like, thinking about the mid-2000s, a lot of those like PS3 movie tie-in games, mm. they didn't look super pretty. They were oh, not man. up to the graphical fidelity that the PS3 was capable of. <laughs> this a might lot be of times... jumping the gun a little bit, sorry, hey, but no, I, I, I was thinking about... Have you seen that clip from Spider-Man 3, the game? It, it, it's a failed QuickTime event where Spider-Man's trying to rescue this hostage from a burning building. Mm -hmm. And so if you fail the QuickTime event... Uh, Spider-Man just kind of falls, trips over his own ass, and uh, <laughs> it zooms in dramatically Amazing. on the NPC's horrifying, like, poorly modeled face, and then oh, there's just so an good. explosion or something like that. I gotta look that's... this up. I'm not gonna send it to you during the oh, that's so good recording, but like, you but need yeah, to know. like when you're when you're going into game development, knowing that you have that little time, it leads to a prolonged period of crunch, which is not good for employees, but it's also not good for the game because if you're having to work to get things working and like get the bare functionality of the game up to snuff right into the wire, you're not gonna have the time to worry about bugs and worry about QA testing to the same degree that is needed when you're making this big interconnected complex mess of code 
All right, so um, Chris, I'm sorry. Never mind. I am sending this to you. Okay, that's fine. I'm excited to watch it. <laughs> it's 18 seconds, so it's not Real, as bad as I thought. Fill me with fantastic visions never felt before. Oh, welcome to this nightmare. You can tell oh, from I'm the thumbnail. Oh, I'm already excited from the thumbnail. Oh, wow. Okay, hang on. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm posting this on our website in the description. I'm saving this fucking URL uh, so you can watch this along with me. Thanks, that doodleable from YouTube.com. That doodleable, oh, probably. Oh my god. I just need to appreciate the very glossy Spider-Man who does not quite appear to exist on the same plane of existence as the floor that he's standing on. I like that when you fail the quick time event... <laughs> The, and there's this very the loop. Oh, this this. Oh, <laughs> how many frames of animation do they fit in here? Three. Oh man. Okay. No. Like honestly, the thing that oh god, those eyes is the NPC going. I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is good podcasting. Spider-Man full on belly flops onto a fire. It zooms in on this, like, five-polygon face model with bug eyes, and then it just cuts to the outside of a four-polygon building, and there's a gout of flame. Oh, that's really good. Yep, yep. Oh, so yeah, all of this laughter is at the expense of the game. I f want to point out, I feel for the people who had to make this, because they probably had three weeks to get this taken care of when it should have been, like, ten. Yeah. Like, crunch is a very real problem, and I think, like... I don't know, I haven't read a lot of accounts of people who've worked on specifically movie tie-in games, but I have to believe that there's a lot of crunch going on when you're getting that much. We're, we know when the deadline is, there is no wiggle room, and it's sooner than you want it to be. <laughs> and then on top of that, you have the added difficulty of you have to work at the behest of people who don't understand your job. Yeah. Again, this is all speculation on my part, and I don't know how much that, like, the movie studio would actually take to, like, how much input they would want to have on the day-to-day -day operations at whatever game studio they were working with. But you're making a product for the film studio that they are going to have say in and they are going to have some amount of oversight on, and they don't know what the work you're doing is. You know, in some weird, twisted way... This made me think of Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric, in which oh my their God. employers did know. Yeah, and yet so for somehow that don't game know. still exists. So for people who don't know, legendary question mark video game franchise Sonic the Hedgehog recently... Legend like, does not uh, imply quality. Legend Legends area applies. <laughs> uh, recently had a TV series called Sonic Boom that premiered on Cartoon Network, and that game had... Or that, that show, thusly, had tie-in games made by different companies. And there was a game for the Wii U uh, that tied into it called Sonic Boom Rise of Lyric. It was made by old uh, Sony platformer uh, developers. I think, like, people who worked on Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank were part of this new upstart company. And they were making a Sonic game. And that it looked pretty cool from the art direction and stuff. And then it had to crunch to meet the deadline that was the premiere of the show it shows like there are there's a great game grumps video that was put out when they were doing their sonic boom playthrough <laughs> in which one of the editors is just going through the game footage and like pointing out all the places where like characters pop in, in and out yeah like so it's like he's looking at a cutscene, and every time the camera angle changes the positions of the characters also shift a little bit like it starts out like the camera will change and for a couple of frames all the characters are where they were 
relative to each other in the last shot, and then they just, like, pop a few units in given directions to make the new shot look good, but all of that popping didn't get removed because they didn't have time to give the cutscenes another once-over and catch all of it. Sonic is one of the most interesting franchises to me, because every time it looks like Sega's completely rebuilt their brand and have a new idea for the future of the series... Something they goes rush wrong. things, yeah, and it's usually because they rush things or don't think fully about what quality control. Uh, I I, yeah. I like Sonic the character. I like Sonic the 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 world, but like God damn Sega. Yeah, it's it's rough. <laughs> uh, but all this is to say, like, yeah, these are examples of like bad tie-in games that yeah. I'm, I'm throwing um, out as Chris's. Uh, talking about different elements yeah, that yeah. might have resulted in their so, like, failure. And I'm sure there's more, and again, I'm not a game designer. If you are a game designer and you want to come on our show and tell us how wrong we are, please reach out to us. That would be rad. I would love to do something with someone who actually <laughs> works in the industry. Yeah. Um, but all this is to say, like, even just thinking about like collaborative projects I've worked on before where like there were people involved who didn't appreciate the work that had to go in to other people's tasks. Oh god. Like that's a big problem. Like that is one of flashbacks. (laughs) That is one of the biggest things that's going to kill a working environment, like a, a work group, especially on things that are as collaborative as game making. If you're at the behest of people and not saying that the movie studios that were asking for these games were bad people. They just, they don't know what game design is. And so they can't always appreciate what their critique and what the expectations they place on the game designers actually mean for the work that they're able to do. However, for all of that, boy howdy, there are some games that we were remembering as we were coming up with this episode topic that I love. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of talking about fun stuff. I don't know if we'll get through all of this. I mean, I don't think we're going to like spend a wealth of time on any yeah. one game, but we'll see. But, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll 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 chat through. I want to address the elephant in the room because as we were coming up this list, I just like it hit me over the head that there is a game that never gets mentioned in the same breath as movie tie-in games, but it is a movie tie-in game and it spawned like an entire world of gaming back in the 90s. That's right. I'm talking about one of the most beloved N64 games, 007 Goldeneye. Yep. 007 Goldeneye is a classic. It's one of the first examples of, like, a console first-person shooter. To if be not, fair, maybe I think Goldeneye, the game, came out, what, like, five years after? Yeah, so it's... Uh, two years. Two years after the movie did, so, like, yeah, so it had that liberty. Yeah, they were not held to crunch accountability in the same way that a lot of these games were. So there's a and it's also a different era. It was a different era of game design. I have no idea what like development in the '90s was like. Even less than we I have an idea of when GoldenEye came out. Uh, I'm a little babby boy. Um, <laughs> but man, GoldenEye's fucking great. And like they managed to make a game that like you feel like James Bond when you're playing that game. Yeah. In a very real way. Like, yes, it's a little bit more gun happy than any than any James Bond movie is. And yes, they like. Again, probably to do with, like, limitations. Like, you couldn't do back then, you know, an Uncharted where you've got the complex gunplay and the good climbing mechanics and, like, social interaction stuff. But they nail that one aspect really well. And I think it's worth just, like, remembering, like, oh, yeah, once upon a time, these, like, there wasn't this stigma. And GoldenEye came out and just changed the face of gaming for, like, 
I would argue in some ways GoldenEye single player is more interesting than Uncharted because you have like these wide spanning maps with mission objectives and stuff like that. It's really cool stuff. I miss the I miss map design (laughs) being a big part of games. Um, I guess uh, next game we can talk about is the legendary uh, Spider-Man Two, which like you know I hype up, but like it it is a really cool superhero game that really kind of looked at Grand Theft Auto 3 and said, what if we made a superhero do all that, uh, go yep. anywhere, do anything, mission-based structure? So Up For a long time, it was the best Spider-Man game. Until Amazing and- Spider-Man came out last year? Yeah, last yes. year. Uh, uh, which I have not gotten to play yet. I really fucking want to. It looks dope. Um, I have not gotten to play it either. Uh, but like, too many games. Yeah, there, too many games, not enough time or money. Uh, yeah. But... Boy, howdy, Spider-Man 2, the movie, the game is so fucking good. <laughs> it's fucking Tony Hawk Pro Web Slinger 3. I I think I might retroactively like Spider-Man 2, the movie, more because I played Spider-Man 2, the game. That's um, fair. Like, I mean, I, I honestly like Spider-Man 2, the movie. Um, oh, same. I think it's yeah. very fun. A lot of people like to joke about the frequency of this phrase, but it's like... The game makes you feel like Spider-Man, um, but like it kind of does. It really does. It does like, a really good. Like that sounds played, but boy howdy, it's true. I think I think the funnest thing about Spider-Man Two is the just the idea that like you are you know you're playing as Spider-Man primarily, but it also really gives you a sense of the mundanity of Peter's life and how he misses out on that because sometimes like. You know, you'll be playing the game, and the story will, is like, I have to go to the play Mary Jane is uh, performing in. And then, like, you know, on your radar, you see someone getting mugged, and you're like, well, all right. F-. So you, you get that sense, because thematically, Spider-Man 2 is all about, like, the strain between Peter Parker's personal life and his, you know, gig as Spider-Man. Yeah. And so I, th- I think it's kind of, especially in Spider-Man 2, where, like, it's not just Doc Ock. There is an entire rogues gallery that yep. they just throw into there, where almost, like, it feels like they took Spider-Man 2 and stretched it out into an arc of Spider-Man the Animated Series, which I have no clue how that holds up. I've heard it holds up terribly, but that's <laughs> beside the point. You f- okay, or alternatively, you're, you're playing a series of Spider-Man issues. Yeah, it's a great game, and, like, no other Spider-Man game... Until, reportedly, Spider-Man, or Amazing Spider-Man, or whatever the name of the game actually is for the PlayStation 4, no other Spider-Man game has made web-slinging feel as intuitive and as cool. I would argue Ultimate Spider-Man for the same console generation was also pretty good, but that's besides I, the point. I It was not bad. I still, like, 2 holds a special place in my heart. Alright, that's fair. Um, But yeah, like, there is some rough edges to Spider-Man 2, the movie, the game, but like, the fact that they, like you said, they they capture that, like, emotional core so well in this, like, open-world structure is so cool. Plus, it's like, god, that, I... The pizza I never game. I never got that, I never beat that game because every time I picked it up, after a while, I would just get to a point where all I wanted to do was swing around. Um, Chris, I'm almost tempted, and of course we can't. But I'm almost tempted to have the outro music this episode be the Spider-Man Pizza minigame theme. <laughs> Do you have the money for the royalties? I don't think... I don't know if the Because that... I think that's a royalty-free song. Yeah, and it might be fair use. I don't fucking know. 
<laughs> like it's oh, it's Lord. that one like do 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 do. I don't. Good lord. Um, but yeah. So so far, these are two games that are like pretty widely beloved. Let's get to a weird one. Let's right, talk about heading? for one thing, and I don't know why this is because they don't strike me as the, like the easiest games to make, but. We were coming up with this list, and it was like, holy cow, for like a while in the mid-2000s, apparently just like the game genre du jour was the character action game. <laughs> yeah. um, character Let's action start... games, if you don't know, are Devil May Cry, Bayonetta, uh, this sort of style of games where it's all about style and combos and learning how to... You like... do combos, and the more combos you do, the more points you get, and those points you can spend on more moves that allow you to do more combos yeah their character action game is the la- uh the term that has been landed on for what is otherwise kind of a hard g- genre to define beyond like action adventure with combos so we got uh the lord of the rings games uh specifically two towers and return of the king which, which are really fun yeah Holy like cow. unexpectedly not unexpectedly so i mean like when i was a kid i didn't have any expectations but like <laughs> they're, they're they're not quite character action games because there are some properties, like, you are ranked more on how many kills you get in quick succession than actual combos. But that being said, it still very much resembles, like, a character action yeah, philosophy. You, you get to pick which of the, the fellowship badasses you want to play as. They've got different move lists that you expand by spending the points you rack up in the games. You get to play through these, like, very iconic moments from the films. And, like... The movies lend themselves well to that genre because, like, thinking about those action, like, the set pieces in Lord of the Rings play, like, cutscenes from a Devil May Cry game all the way down to le- <laughs> fucking Legolas, Legolas shield on the surf. Oliphant. I was thinking more of the moment of him shield surfing down the stairwell at the oh back of deep firing arrows into the crowd and then launching the shield into the neck of an orc. Like, Alas, the games never got that amazing but that's why you should play dragon's dogma a fantasy action rpg made by the creator of devil may cry dakota yeah like (laughs) (laughs) this is a call out post um (laughs) but yeah given like any given moment that legolas has in one of those set pieces in lord of the rings just looks like something dante would be doing in a devil may cry cut scene and i love it it's Um, it's quite good but like also then you also get this in the Star Wars Revenge of the Sith tie-in game, which really is kind of a, like, feels a lot like a reskin of the Two Towers Return of the King games. It is, and then, like, so I, I rented Two Towers. Uh, I never played oh, I own I game. owned that shit on my GameCube, nice. and I played it for hours. Nice. <laughs> Love that game. Uh, however, I owned Revenge of the Sith, and let me tell you, that game was great because it was basically Two Towers Return of the King, like, nearly the same control scheme and everything but you also had force powers and yep ah it's so good like you uh you could upgrade the force powers there were kind of mini set piece moments where like basically they weren't quick time events but you could initiate a cutscene where you would start to level levitate a star destroyer or something it, it, like really cool stuff and are you sure also... that wasn't force unleashed no well i okay. mean that was force unleashed yeah but like there, there's a moment where like you know, to progress, you have to, like, stand on a little pad and use uh, force powers to move, you know, a crashed uh, starfighter. Yes. I felt like a jet... No, I, I'm going to stop like, right there. I will it's say, not... that is, like, the best thing to come out of Star Wars Episode Three. Yeah. 
<laughs> You're not wrong. No, I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna dwell too much on the talking about the prequels as films. Yeah, but um, <laughs> plenty of people have done that already. Yeah, um, exactly. There are added cutscenes, or not added cutscenes. There are added character moments and stuff like that. Honestly, I remember playing, uh, or I remember playing the game months before the movie came out and being like, not disappointed when I got to the movie, but like it's hard to explain like there's some moments that are so much cooler in the game than what they could be in the movie yeah uh yeah but man like that game the addition of force powers gives it so much more of a character actiony kind of feel it was also released in the mid 2000s uh which means that like like many games for some reason it had a dedicated pvp mode you oh, know right. it's not a fighting game so it's not balanced but like <laughs> i've spent hours uh dozens of hours playing the the pvp with friends if i'm remembering correctly because one of the one of the early like moves you can unlock is the lightsaber throw which i'm trying to think if ever actually shows up in a movie because <laughs> it's um, such an iconic piece throw? of like you see that in the, the clone wars animated series yeah you i don't see think that's ever a, been in a the lot movies. of games i don't think anyone has ever like thrown a lightsaber boomerang style using the force in one of the movies it's just something that game designers are like oh yo you should be able to do that though oh the uh the last jedi has that technically during the the ray and kylo ren fight all the imperial guards oh right yeah that's that was like the I, that's I, the I, first was... example <laughs> but like you know it's not even the same yeah um, but like now the Last Jedi is now officially good. Everything, <laughs> every criticism against it is now invalid. Uh, I'm gonna make two camps angry with that. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I don't know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> Dylan, remember he's at the Dilla on Twitter. Oh, uh, shut up. <laughs> um, I was just I'm, I might be remembering this wrong, but like you get the lightsaber throw fairly early. That's like a fairly early combo piece that you unlock. Yeah. I'm pretty sure one of the later changes to that is you can throw it. If it hits an enemy, you can then, like, force leap to that enemy and do, like, a a twirl attack at that location. It's, honestly, it's no wonder that I got into Devil May Cry. Like, they came up with some cool combos and cool combat abilities to throw into that game. Yeah. That you never see in the movies, and I love it. It's 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 pretty tight. God, Let's get to the weird one. Let's get oh. to the... Okay, wait, one yeah. real quick thing. I just want to throw this out there. There was also a game in the same vein with Chronicles of Narnia. And let me tell you, fighting as Lucy <laughs> against, like, I don't know, Minotaurs or something I'd is fucking hilarious. I've forgotten about that game. Yeah, there was a Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I, uh, <laughs> I played that at my friend's house on his PlayStation 2. I rented it from Blockbuster. <laughs> oh my god. I had completely forgotten about... You just took me back to being eight. It also had, like, stealth sections, which were terrible. Yeah. God, I don't miss forced stealth. I'm glad <laughs> okay, that we've but... largely moved away from that. Anyway, moving on. Um, I've never played this game. Chris has never played this game. But I've seen videos on this game. And apparently there is a Nightmare Before Christmas game that actually just plays just like Devil May Cry. And again, neither of us have really played it, but like, I just wanted to give it a shout out because, you know, it, if people there. <laughs> if people who play Devil May Cry are playing this game and they're like, yeah, I mean, like, it's not particularly deep, but it's de certainly deeper than you would expect this game to play like. 
Uh, I just wanted to give that a shout out. It's called Nightmare Before Christmas, Oogie's Revenge. Uh, someone commented, I can't believe they rebooted Devil May Cry twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very good. That's, that's, a, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Anyway, um, moving on. Nightmare Before Christmas came out in 1993. Yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas, Boogie's, Oogie's Revenge came out in 2005. I think there was a 10th anniversary, like, re-showing of it in theaters. And I guess for some reason, like, they were like, we need video games of Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. But you know what? I'll take Somebody it. at Capcom who'd never heard of this movie before saw it and went to the office the next day and was like, my friends, <laughs> we have a quest. Everybody's looking for the next surprise. D- dust off the DMC3 engine. <laughs> We have a job to do. <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess we should move on because I don't have yeah. a lot to say about we that. We just wanted to call attention to that because it's so fucking wild. Yeah, it's it's a hidden gem, as they say. I I know, Chris, I know you wrote down uh, for Star Wars, continuing Star Wars, we have Rogue Squadron and X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. But considering that they aren't actual movie tie-in games and are just... They're Star Wars games. They're they're Star Wars yeah. games. That being said, I did want to mention the old-ass, uh, like, 1970s, early 80s uh, Star Wars arcade game. Oh, it's so good! Where you are playing as an X-Wing fighter and you are doing the trench run. Some um, of y'all have never been to an arcade that stocked this game and it shows. <laughs> but it, it's really cool. Like, you have uh, a, you know pilot steering wheel peripheral and it controls where you aim and where you aim also kind of controls the trajectory of where your x-wing is moving and it is you know it's a very old game so it's using like vector graphics it's uh, so cool. it, it honestly looks like what the radar or the pilot monitor looks like in the movie and you know it's a very simple game you shoot a couple tie fighters you go into the trench of the death star um, shoot you, you know, shooting at turrets that are shooting at you and dodging bullets and everything. And then you get to the uh, exhaust port and you shoot your proton torpedoes. Someone who's never seen Star Wars before is going to be like, wow, you fucking nerd. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, no, you, uh, you shoot your proton torpedoes and then like the Death Star blows up and then you do it all over again to rack up as many points as you possibly can. So you can put your initials on the leaderboard when you eventually die. Very simple game, but carries the spirit of the climax of that film in a way that, like, I don't know. I I, I really dig it. Yeah, it's really fucking cool. And, like, I love that game. There was then the, uh, they did, like, a revamp of it once, like, 3D graphics got a little better that involved, like, level one was the trench run. Level two was... Oh, yeah, you're talking uh, about, like... The one that I saw in movie theaters that I never had the quarters to play, yeah, right? Yeah, which is also dope. Level 2 is, like, like the escape from Hoth. Uh, it uses, like, a joystick peripheral, so a couple of them you got to, like, do lightsaber fights that, like, didn't control well at all and were kind of <laughs> tilting, but, like, were also rad as hell. I'm trying to remember what that one... Okay, yeah, it was called Star Wars Trilogy Arcade. That's what it was, yes. Uh, super dope. And also just, like, way to tap into, like, we ha- we can have whatever the fuck peripheral we want. It's an arcade cabinet. Yeah, uh, really dig those. Also, we can't mention Star Wars without mentioning Lego Star Wars and Lego Lord of the Rings and Lego Harry Potter. That's and why Lego you type Lego shit in all caps. <laughs> or Lego bitch, sorry. Lego. 
bitch. Um, like, I mean, not a whole lot to say, but they are direct adaptations of the movie. You know, it, it's getting a little hard because we were originally talking about, like, games that had to face time constraints and basically to be all fair, we've mentioned are, Star Wars like, epi- the, the Lego Star Wars, the first one, did. Did it? I thought Lego it was... Star Wars, the first one, came out, in con- like, within a couple of months of Star Wars Episode Three. I, f- I forgot that. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's fair. I'm, let me Let me double check. I can always edit that out if I'm wrong. <laughs> but like yeah that was you know that was the one that needed to be good so i guess good job on you people who made the lego games lego star was the video game 2005 oh wow okay yeah you're right i was gonna say i also want to say that lego lord of the rings had to coincide with the release of the hobbit but i'm not sure might i'm not sure uh but yeah like lego star wars the video game the first one that like established that whole branding. franchise yeah. Was technically a movie tie-in game for episode three. All right, we in there. <laughs> and they did a really good job. Like, <laughs> say what you will about, like, they're too easy, they're for kids. They're fucking fun. Yeah. Get off your elite gaming high horse and learn to have joy. <laughs> Wins Lego Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Dark Souls of the Lego games. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, so uh, I got a couple left, and then I think yeah, we can... I think... Um, this is going to be a quick aside. Um, not quick aside. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I did that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Thank you. I love you. Edit that out, too. <laughs> or don't. I don't care. You don't get to say you love me. You asked for a divorce this morning. <laughs> <laughs> We got married last episode. It's we're true. divorced this one. It's true. Love doesn't last. For- oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Toy Story Two <laughs> is Subtitle, a game. Love doesn't last. <laughs> Actually, you know what? That is it's like not a, a theme. bad subtitle for that movie. That is a theme of that movie. So I guess good job. I- <laughs> we got there. I guess you're keeping all of the shit I just said in. Anywho, uh, Toy Story Two is, like, a fun, I want to call it, like, Spyro Light. Um, yeah, it's, like, a little bit collectathon, a little bit puzzle platformer. But, like, you know, I from what I recall, it's, like, a very easy game. It's not, like, particularly deep or, you know, as far as, you know, platformers of the time go, it's, like, a pretty simple one. But, like, that doesn't stop it from being fun. And uh, I, I also really dig the idea of a platformer that the entire concept is, like, you are a tiny toy in a big world. Other games yep. have tried this uh, and have failed. And <laughs> Yeah, the Toy Story 2 game was, like, very fun. And it came out, like, right at the kind of the tail end of that whole genre. I wouldn't say the tail end. I, yeah. think, I think this genre is officially killed by... Grand Theft Auto 3, because that's when, like, all the platformer makers were like, we have to make our platformers open, basically open, yeah. Oh, yeah, holy shit, never mind, it was 1999. Oh, wow, yeah. That was not at all the tail end of the the puzzle platformer genre. Like, when I think end of the puzzle platformer genre, I think of the moment where Jack 2 was, or Jack and Dexter looked at Grand Theft Auto and said, I want to be that. Yeah. One last game that we wanted to talk about regarding this whole phenomenon. One again, that we both have fond memories of, though, again, I have not... T- I did Before yesterday, when Dylan brought it up, or like a week ago when Dylan brought it up, I hadn't thought about it in like eight years. 
it's been critically panned, but, like, again, I have fond memories of it, so take this as you will, but I really enjoyed the Batman Begins uh, video game on consoles. Yeah, it was really fucking cool. I There were, like, you know, Ar- Arkham Asylum is Arkham Asylum, obviously, yeah. but I think... Here's the thing. I would argue that this game laid a lot of the groundwork for Arkham Asylum. You it's know what? A, I feel that, like that the, might be sacrilege, but I, I agree with you. The Batman Begins game, it's a Batman game, so it's got some stealth elements, it's got some beat em up elements. There's uh, a psych meter where, like, enemies, you can make enemies get more and more. I think it's called a fear meter, where you can yeah. make enemies more and more unnerved, and that is its own gameplay mechanic. Yep. It's. And, like, again, Arkham Asylum has the ability to freak out the guards, and Arkham Asylum, like, has better combat. Let's just call it what it is. The combat and the sneak- sneaking work better in Arkham Asylum than they worked in Batman Begins. Yeah. I remember but- our, our, I remember Batman Begins the game was like Splinter Cell Light. Yeah. <laughs> it it ticked a lot of boxes for me when I was 12. Yeah. And like it does some interesting things that then like it 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 is very Splinter Cell Light. It borrows some things from a lot of different games to build its version of what being Batman is like. And I think that then, like, I have no idea. I don't know what Rocksteady Studios took as inspiration or and did not. But, like, I have a lot of fond memories of that game, and I just, I, like I said, a lot of these games are just things that I remember them doing something interesting. And I, hmm. I never owned Batman Begins, but I rented it multiple times for my local family video. Yeah. Which is somehow still in operation. I'll take credit for that. Thank you. Hey, that's nice. I don't know why it's still in operation, but I love that it is. Yeah, no, I I miss... Okay, this isn't the, the 90s, mid-2000s nostalgia hour as much okay. as I... Okay, here's mm-hmm. something interesting. Okay. Batman Begins, the game. Yes. Metacritic score of 64. Okay. IGN Entertainment gave it a 7.1 out of 10. Yep. 96% of Google users liked this game. Huh. So another example, like, I don't think those critiques are necessarily wrong. Like, there's a lot kind of janky about this game, and I, a it's lot probably, of that be... It's probably an average game that if I were to go back to today, which I might do, actually, yeah. um, will not hold up particularly well. Yeah. But, like, I remember Arkham Asylum, like, I remember liking the Batman Begins game so much that when I finally saw the movie, it was good. But, like, the, the, the game itself, like, also tells its story in really out-of-sequence, like, in-media-res style. Yeah. Which is fascinating to me. It's really good. It's very fun. I might have to go see if I can find a PC download of this game that, like, would function on a modern computer. I think that'll probably do it. Like, again, we're not trying to say, like, all of these games are great. Go buy them. But, like... We're talking it's about worth, ideas. It, yeah. And it's worth examining those sort of truisms about what games are good and what games are not, and thinking about, like, you know what, actually? Oh, yes. last, last, last one. I, I okay. just thought of something right now. Um, I quite liked the Hobbit video game. Fucking love it. Yeah. It it's not really a movie tie-in game. Uh, okay, Hobbit, that's true, that's the true. The Hobbit video game came out in, like, 2004 or five. Yeah. I want to say. Yeah. Long before the Hobbit films were a, a glint in 
Peter Jackson's avaricious eye. I would um, I would argue that that game studio picked up the license to The Hobbit because of the Lord of the Rings craze, and they were like, "Well, we need to get in on this somehow." That is that is quite probable. And like maybe The Hobbit has like separate rights than Lord of the Rings yeah. does. I will say I did go back to The Hobbit more recently than any of these other games. Mm-hmm. I went back to it like when we were like probably like junior or senior year that we were in college. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hold up great. Does it not? Uh, the, all like right. <laughs> the scene show. I still had fun. It was a fun mm-hmm. nostalgia trip, and yeah. like I remembered enough of how the quirks work that I was able to like still play it and still enjoy myself. Mm-hmm. It definitely did not age super well. So we're gonna have a follow up episode next week where we play these old games. We all just we just wax <laughs> nostalgic about, and we're just like, "Wow, we we were wrong. Ignore everything <laughs> we had to say last episode. <laughs> Let's in- invalidate this episode." <laughs> but what we should do is wrap up this episode. So thank you, yes. thank you always, as always, forever for listening to Backstage Gaming. Forever, uh, you're ours forever now. We <laughs> we enjoyed having you, you here. I. <laughs> I don't know. I need more coffee. <laughs> we enjoyed having you here. We hope that you enjoyed listening. Uh, as always, you can find us at our website, bsgpod.com. We've got our episodes. We've got bios. We've got a contact form. And you can also find us on your chosen music streaming service of choice. We're on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. And we're on the Google Play Store. So go check us out. Drop an iTunes rating or review if you like what we're doing. Let us know. And help us uh, climb those charts, climb those aggregates. If you dig or hate what we have to say, uh, you can yell at us on social media. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. We have a YouTube. And if you, again, if you like or hate what we say, you should talk about us with the hashtag BSGpod. Um, also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for providing us with the artwork that we use. Um, if you dig his stuff, you can check him out at brendanfrench.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E. N-N-E-N hyphen French dot squarespace dot com. You can also check him out on Instagram on Instagram dot com slash Brennan French Arts. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N-F-R-E-N-C-H-A-R-T-S. Thank you also to our friend BioQuery for the use of our theme song dot sound radio volume one instrumentality. He is an incredibly talented musician that we are happy to have his music for us. You can check him out at his SoundCloud. That's soundcloud.com slash bioquery. That's B-I-O-Q-U-E-R-Y. Or you can find him on Spotify. He put out a new EP recently. He's also doing production stuff for a bunch of other stuff. He's got some social media accounts. It's all under bioquery. You should give him a follow. Be sure to check out our friend Christine's actual play podcast, The Unexplored Places. They are yep. a super fun actual play podcast based in the Monster of a Week setting. Dylan they is. They also in the... recently launched a Patreon. Yeah, so... they launched a Patreon that's already at like over a hundred bucks a month. So like, go support them if you like cool actual play podcasts made by a diverse group of people. They also are getting prepped for a season two, and Dylan and I are both going to be involved in some way moving forward with them. Yep. Uh, not necessarily in the main season, but we're going to be doing some work with them. So give them a yes. check out. Check out Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery. I am in the final episode, which should be going up either. I, I've lost count a little bit, but either the week that this episode goes up or next week. Uh, and you'll get to hear me scream a whole bunch, which was very fun to record. Anything else to throw out there? I think we're good on our plugs. I think our plugs are filled. Mm. Uh, thank you for listening <laughs> to this week's episode of Backstage <laughs> Gaming. Uh I apologize for that crime I just did in your ears, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> Goodbye. But to the base, to the base, to the base. Bum, oh bum, bum, bumble. That's my sign out. Fuck you.